everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies AFI Top 100 Countdown number 78, Modern Times. Written, directed, produced, starring, score by Mr. Charlie Chaplin. In his last film as the Little Tramp, I believe, correct? <laughs> You're already stepping on all my notes here, man. I'm going to have nothing to talk about. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this is the first of, I believe, three Chaplin films in this top 100 countdown. Um, that's a pretty momentous thing for, for one person in, in a very specific era to to be so well represented, you know, especially given, like I said, he's he was the, the master of his domain when it came to filmmaking. He, he literally did it all. Yeah, especially at this point, because this is during the uh, United Artists run, I think, right? I mean, obviously he was making films for decades, but it seems that most of the considered masterpieces happened during the United Artists run when he was when he basically started a studio with Mary Pickford and um, the name of the guy who was married to Mary Pickford, Kevin Klein played him in the Chaplin movie. I'll think of it. Anyway, the three of them started United Artists together, and that's when he really was really firing on all cylinders in the mm-hmm. 20s, and, 20s and 30s, right? And this is this is kind of the end. Like this is, I mean, you still have the great dictator after this, and then uh, which is obviously like considered a very prescient sort of political statement. And then Monsieur Monsieur Verdot, which is kind of a movie that's I feel has gone through sort of like a reclamation or a reconsideration over the last decade or so. And is now considered one of his sort of forgotten masterpieces. Besides those two, this is this is kind of the end of like the golden age of Chaplin, right? This is like and it and this it's is the end of Chaplin as most people know him. Yes, and like you said, last time he plays the little tramp, and it's it's very uh, appropriate that he kind of like walks. He literally walks off into the sunset at the end of this movie in his little tramp costume. Matt, I gotta gotta be honest here. Charlie Chaplin is a big old blind spot for me all right as a film lover uh didn't grow up watching it i think i've seen a handful of his movies but i can't be sure they all sort of bleed together in my mind i i really don't have much of a connection to him or his work so i'm gonna ask you to do a little bit of the heavy lifting here buddy why is this movie important matt besides the things that we just said his sort of you know, final walk into the sunset as the little champ. Well, I think as we've discussed in previous episodes and we'll discuss in future episodes, I'm sure there is a little bit of curating that goes on in a list like this. Like we'd like to think that, um, that this is just completely all just on the up and up. It's all just straight up votes and we, we tally them and that's it. But I tend to be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist about this, thinking that film historians or members of the AFI probably look at this and do a little bit of tweaking and like, no, that should probably be in there as well. And I think that this is just uh, that the three films from Chaplin that are on this list, Modern Times, Gold Rush and City Lights are pretty much resoundingly considered not only his three masterpieces, but they're considered his masterpieces in that order. And this one, I feel, is the and I don't mean this as too much of a slight the least important and the least artful probably Mm -hmm. but still needs to always be part of the conversation as part of this kind of like trilogy of masterpieces and i think it's a very important statement for him as a filmmaker because like you said he's really wearing all the hats by this point including writing that incredibly iconic and memorable score where he basically writes sort of like the song that's associated with the character of the little tramp Mm-hmm. Which we now think of as the smile song because uh, 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 Nat King Cole, right? Nat King Cole, 
Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think Nat King Cole. Was, I think Nat, sure. well, I think Nat King Cole was the one who actually wrote the lyrics that were that were uh, eventually associated with the song. And now we think of the song as called "Smile," but I don't think it was called that when Chaplin wrote it. I think he just wrote it as a score, as yeah. part of the score for this movie. But that song is now associated with the Little Tramp and these kinds of films. And so I think it's an interesting political statement from this guy when he's basically working at the height of his powers and with one of the biggest budgets he ever worked with. And um, and it's also an artistic statement of him saying, like, here's here's what I can really do when I have, like, all these resources I can throw at one of these things. And, yeah. and it's, a, it's obviously it's a reaction to, pardon the pun, the times, right? I mean, it's him making a kind of sort of like a sociopolitical statement about what he thinks about the uh, depression, what he thinks about the industrial revolution, what he thinks about assembly lines and communism and uh, incarceration. And there's, there's even a, like a cocaine sequence in this movie, which kind (laughs) of comes out of nowhere (laughs) where he gets super duper high on cocaine, which I'd completely forgotten about. I haven't seen this movie in many years, but that's weird. Yeah. Um, And then, and then has a really beautiful, like sort of melancholy love story that ends on a very kind of open-ended melancholy note. Let's move back a little bit. Just we talked about, like you said, the the list having sort of symbolic entries and signpost entries or or whatever. And you know, to sort of refute your argument, like if it really was symbolic, wouldn't you say there'd be fewer Chaplin movies on here? Or do you think he's just such an iconic figure and such an important figure in cinema history? That they just had, like, they couldn't stop it anywhere, you know, under three. Like, it just had to be these three movies. I think it had to be these three, and I think it's proof positive that this movie has only moved only moved up two spots from the last, from the 1997 version of the list, right? Yeah, I believe it was, I think it was 81 before, now it's 78. So it's actually moved upwards. Um, and I think the other two have as well, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But hot take here, in the Chaplin versus Buster Keaton kind of standoff of the you know silent film uh, writer director star masters i'm kind of a buster keaton guy so i'm I'm sort of with you where i didn't really grow up with chaplin these films were not an important part of my childhood only really started kind of dipping my toe into this chaplin lake once i started sort of investigating film history yeah in my teens so I am actually really surprised that there's only one Buster Keaton film on this list. I would have put multiple Keaton films and perhaps maybe shaved a Chaplin movie. But we can get to that when we talk about whether or not the film deserves to be on the list. Yeah, it's bullshit. I'm with you. Um, (laughs) You're a Keaton guy too? Uh, probably yeah, more so than than Charlie Chaplin. But he's just physical in ways that that Chaplin was never able to be. Although that being said, he do, he does some pretty death defying stuff in this movie, which we can get to. Like I think my, my I think my favorite sequence in the movie is when he is doing something that looks very very dangerous. Yes, uh, and we'll get to that in in a bit. For for the socio political stuff, and obviously this is you know the benefit of hindsight, but it doesn't feel <laughs> at this point very nuanced. Like of course. <laughs> factory work is is bad and incarceration uh like he shows is 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 not great and like these are sort of easy ideals to stand up for um so it all seems pretty obvious to me but you know i i I need to take into account you know the 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 little bit bit of context right yeah the context needs to be there um so i understand that this is a big statement from a big star um at an important point in our history 
I can grasp that even though it doesn't really hit me as like, oh, this is an extremely nuanced <laughs> position he's taking here. Um, and that's fine. So like that part of the, the symbolic, satirical nature of this movie, um, I'm not sure it, it holds, it, it's going to hold up to a, to a current audience, but that's fine. And you know, we, we deserve to, to have the context there. But man, I, you, know, you, you mentioned his sort of physical restraints as opposed to Buster Keaton, but what struck me most about this movie, or one of the things that struck me most about this movie is, is how sort of in charge of his body he is and how dexterous he, he is. I mean, he's kind of just a wizard on screen for a lot of this uh, a lot of this movie. And it's, I mean, that was most impressive to me considering he was in his, what, mid-40s at this point? At least, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah late 40s. Uh, so, you know, not being terribly familiar with Chaplin uh, or this movie, uh, that, that definitely impressed me most. But the big demerit for me, Matt, and maybe this is jumping the gun here, I just don't find any of this stuff funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And for what is the you know comic you genius? In the mud. I know comic mastermind uh, Charlie Chaplin supposedly is like. I'm just not sure this type of comedy holds up. Am I am I missing the boat here? Do Do you think this is a this is a common point of view, or 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 would most cinephiles just slap me in the face and say you're you're wrong? You don't understand comedy. Yeah, I don't think this is one of his funniest films. I will I will say that. And and that might fall under the category of again not feeling like this is necessarily one of his best or just a movie that is obvious that is a little more interested in um in its ideas and its sort of statements as opposed to like just entertaining the audience and making it laugh. I think it's one of like the strangest sort of narrative trajectories of his films. It's a really weird movie when you really think about it, like him trying to he keeps trying to get back into jail and then there's this parallel story about this woman and you know, I guess in that regard it's not that much weirder than something like City Lights which which also has sort of like dual protagonists with he and the love interest. But um yeah, it it feels much clunkier than some of his other masterpieces. And in that regard I don't think it's necessarily as knee-slapping. I would completely agree with you on that. And yes, I find some of the Buster Keaton stuff to still work my funny bone in ways that the Chaplin stuff, I have to kind of project myself back to the... Even though I wasn't alive at the time, I, I have to try and like work to project myself back to that time mm-hmm. to try and appreciate exactly how it would have struck audiences. Because obviously, this stuff was just like... This was catnip for audiences in the 1920s and 30s. They love their damn slapstick. Tell you that much. Yeah, although it's not as like I think the Gold Rush. You know, I think Citizen uh, Citizen Kane, City Lights <laughs> is obviously his masterpiece from a filmmaking standpoint. I think the Gold Rush is probably the funniest because it's just it is just a slapstick uh, factory that movie mm-hmm. and sight gags and things. Yeah. Whereas this is just I don't know this this movie seems like it just is a lot more consumed with i don't know the subject matter and, and with the sets as well like it's a it's a very it's a very designed film and i think a lot of that stems from the fact that it had this huge budget you know 1.5 million dollars obviously enormous at the time barely made it back at the box office and i have to imagine that a lot of that went to designing those crazy factories which is obviously i can only imagine what those conversations must have been like about throwing that kind of money at those sorts of exorbitant sets when they're like dude we're you know everybody's there to see you they're there to see you do these <laughs> pratfalls they're not necessarily there to see these huge gears but that's the stuff you remember from this film right like that's those are the most iconic images of this movie is when he's stuck in those gears inside the factory 
history, which you, happens very early in the film, actually. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the opening sequence. Uh, yeah, the, the sets in this movie are very impressive and obviously expensive, and the production design's great, and you know the directing is 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 really solid too. You know, but just going back, like you know, recently uh, or about I don't know, ten movies ago, something like that, seven movies ago, we watched A Night at the Opera, which Marx Brothers from just a year before, nineteen thirty-five, and in terms of just the comedy of the time, I found I find them, the Marx Brothers, much funnier and engrossing than I did this movie and maybe that has something to do with the plot or maybe it's just you know dialogue being there but I don't know I I still like that's my big bugaboo with this movie is that I just I'm watching him play all these things for laughs and it's just it's just not not hitting me at all yeah I'll always it's interesting you bring up the Marx Brothers because obviously they they play to more of yours and my interests because their stuff is all puns and gags and wordplay right yeah Whereas this is all, it's all, it's all visual. It's all, it's all slapstick and stuff. And, but it's, but it is a good point that they're basically being made around the same time. These guys are contemporaries. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important also to examine the fact that this was the movie Chaplin wanted to make to segue into sync sound filmmaking. Yeah. Like he basically like wrote dialogue for this movie that pretty much didn't get used except for one sequence. Like it's it's interesting to be talking about this like, you know, a couple episodes after Sunshine mm-hmm. um or Sunrise rather because uh that is a movie that kind of straddles the line between being a true silent film and being uh, a sync sound film. And this one has a lot of sync sound even though it pretty much doesn't have any dialogue until one pivotal scene, which I really think is kind of like I think your reaction to that scene will separate the people who really really fall for this film and the ones who have issues with it because I think it's I think it's the most problematic scene in the movie. That sort of combination of of sound and even like in the beginning there's uh the, the boss factory bosses you know talking through the video screen yes or there you go okay so there is yeah there is sync dialogue just not coming from the tramp yeah and so yeah it, it just felt a little clunky especially because they didn't use you know those dialogue cards often but when they did use them it felt sort of out of nowhere and like oh we're just we're moving back to a different era so yeah i don't know if it would have made more sense just to have some dialogue in there or a little bit of dialogue sprinkled throughout as opposed or or gone full bore Uh, i don't know i I felt that was was a bit clunky and you know even reading up on this movie i guess that was even a, a criticism at the time is that he wasn't fully embracing uh sync sound yeah and this is not you know it's not like this movie was made you know, right when sync sound, you know, it's not like this was made in 1929 or something when the jazz singer, I mean, this is 1936. So sync sound was a thing. And for a budget that big, you'd think he would give it a go. But in his defense, you have to appreciate the fact that he, his whole persona was built on the idea that everything he was doing was physical and visual, right? Like he was not, the, the, the persona of the little tramp was not based on his voice. As a matter of fact, it was based on him being pretty much a mime, right? Yeah, but you can, you know, Mr. Bean doesn't talk in the Bean movie. Like, you can... (laughs) He does, actually. Does he? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, but his voice is not the thing you remember. You remember him mugging and doing weird things and, like, you know, high-stepping around. But, yes, he does talk. He can talk. He certainly makes a lot of weird noises. But up until this point, nobody knew what the little tramp's voice sounded like until the scene I mentioned earlier where he starts to basically just like sing in gibberish, right? Yeah. Is there is there a scenario deep into the future, hundreds and hundreds of years, 
where we look back and Mr. Bean is 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 is, is just a like has become an iconic heroic figure and he's in the top <laughs> the Bean movies in the top 100 of AFI's like 300 year anniversary list. The silhouette of uh, Rowan Atkinson in his silly little seersucker suit or whatever is yeah. just as easily recognizable and memorable <laughs> as that of the little tramp. Yeah. It's all relative, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> the, the uh, greatest physical comedian over time. We're getting another Bean movie, I think, coming out soon. I think it's a Johnny English movie. Oh, is it? Ah, oh, damn. I think it's Johnny English three. Yeah, but you're on the right track. I mean, that's that's clearly one step removed from Mr. Bean. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I've never actually seen. I'm familiar with Mr. Bean. My dad was a huge fan. I used to come down. He'd be watching Mr. Bean on PBS <laughs> and just like howling and and you know rolling around in laughter and. I, I I I couldn't say that I didn't get Mr. Bean because I never really gave him a chance. <laughs> but obviously, characters like that and personas like that are influenced by the little tramp, right? Oh, I mean, course, the yeah. the ripples of the influence of what Chaplin was doing, whether you're crazy about this movie or not, whether you're crazy about any of Chaplin's films or not, uh, you can't deny the influence, right? No, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, across the... Not just American filmmaking, just across the entire world. Like, all the French... The, uh, What's his name? Mon, Mon Uncle, you know, like, what's the name? Of, what's the name of the French filmmaker? I'll look it up. But like cinema all over the world was obviously influenced not only by his persona, but by the way he um, choreographed and photographed comedy. Yeah, I mean, know, comedic yeah, sequences. It's as simple as the you know the, the factory line scene where he's you know rushing to to stay stay uh, you know in line, and that's you know the I Love Lucy famous scene is very similar, um, and that's been done a ton of times. Jacques Tati is the filmmaker Jacques, I was thinking of. Jacques Tati, yeah, yes, exactly. yeah, the uh, and the uh, French version of that was Monsieur uh, Hulot, mm-hmm. but yeah, those movies are completely influenced by what what chaplin was doing even though they came decades later um should we talk a little bit about our favorite scenes here uh yes please let's do because i i know exactly which one i'm picking okay so my my runner-up is that uh is the department store scene uh the roller skates is really good actually the gif of how that scene was filmed is Mm -hmm. very popular on reddit for for whatever reason just because it's do tell well, I mean, he, uh, it's just uh, the like the, the the downstairs that he's you know the the, the cliff that he's going to fall off of is a is a little miniature that they filmed around. So it was like a gotcha, really interestingly cleverly filmed scene, and he wasn't in any danger of falling backwards down multiple stories at all. So it's not it's not like a matte painting. There's actually he could have fallen off that ledge, but he would have just fallen straight into a miniature. No, no, no. The miniature is like 20, 20 feet back, and the and the the camera is shooting through the miniature. It's a, it's like a gotcha. it's like a picture frame. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, check yeah. that check that out on Reddit if you get a chance. It's like if you just you know search Charlie Chaplin, that's the like the first thing that comes up, and it's it's really cool. I'm mean, surprised they got that you know photo or or that that moving picture from behind the scenes, but that's really cool, and you know that's notable for just how how interestingly it was filmed. But then obviously my, the my favorite sequence in the movie that that really brought me back was just the the final dinner club sequence with the song and you know the the, the crowd and the chairs and, and and all that shit that that whole sequence uh, to me makes the movie interesting okay well i'll go ahead and say that i think that uh, that roller skating sequence is my favorite scene in the film up until right now i had no idea that that wasn't real i mean i presume that there was like a there was a, a net down there or something i didn't think he was actually going to fall to his death but i did feel that in the pit of my stomach watching him when he gets close to the edge 
I don't know, just like watching him dance around that entire department store in those roller skates. Like just when he puts the roller skates on, you're just like, ah, yes, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. of course, Charlie Chaplin and roller skates is always going to be a good idea. Yeah. And so when he finally gets up there and he's just, he keeps skating and he's never looking towards the edge, I, I just think it's wonderful. And that entire sequence I find to be kind of romantic. Something about being in department stores after dark, <laughs> I just find to be very sort of mysterious and romantic for some reason. Yeah, Mannequin's your favorite movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, mannequin. And uh, interestingly enough, the scene where he sings at the end is my least favorite Ooh, scene in the movie. Okay. I don't dislike the scene. Like, I think there's a lot of great stuff going on there. And I think, obviously, all of his physical comedy is very is solid and all the stuff he's doing as a waiter. But I just don't want to hear what the little tramp sounds like. Oh, okay. And when he starts singing, I'm just like, this really is taking me out of this thing. I And they were like one movie away from me never having to hear what the little tramp sounded like and I wish I wish they wouldn't have done that because I don't think it's necessary for the film I don't think it's I mean technically he kind of saves his job because he's able to improvise there on the spot because he's certainly not a very good waiter but I I don't like the idea of hearing his voice I mean even like hearing him come out to get his honorary Oscar decades later and hearing what Charlie Chaplin's voice sounded like it it, it weirds me out I I think of Charlie Chaplin as as a mute as a mime so it always he doesn't uh, owe rank, you his it always silence, ruffles Matt. me. No, he doesn't owe me anything. I'm just saying, like that persona to me is uh, is silent because he comes from the silent era. He is a he's a hero of the silent era. He's an icon of the silent era. So when I hear his voice, it's just I don't know. There's something about it that just lets the air out of the proverbial balloon. Yeah. So I, you know, since I don't really give a shit about the mystique of Charlie Chaplin, sorry, uh, I, I like that scene because I, you know, I wasn't too into most of the movie and then that scene's pretty freaking weird the whole singing part and uh he's really vamping it up up there and yeah, uh yeah. <laughs> i was like what the hell is this and it's a it's a good song and uh it's the one i've been thinking about since i watched the movie and, and maybe part of your reaction is is why i find it <laughs> entrancing but yeah because i don't really care about not hearing the tramp uh sing i, I wasn't really thinking about uh losing any sort of mystique or or anything like that this is not a criteria that i should be using to judge these films or the ones that end up on the list but i will say that i feel like to me charlie chaplin and his films are more symbolic than anything else sure just like as a student of of film history just the idea of him and the idea of of him as this character in these films is is significant even if none of the films themselves with the exception of maybe city lights really stand out for me and are things that i i revisit very often the way that i do you know the general or you know sherlock jr or something which films that i feel are a little more significant or just you know just happen to appeal to me a little bit more yeah we will get further into this as we get into the next two but it's it's almost as if his his inclusion on this list is as much a sort of statement about the importance of Charlie Chaplin and the history of American filmmaking than anything else, even though he's not an American. Let's get to the big question, because I disagree with that statement, <laughs> which is... That's what, fair. It's a, compli- it's, a, you know, it's a controversial statement. Whether this movie deserves to be on the list. And you know, I'm all for having these symbolic entries. I think that's fine. I think they deserve inclusion because certain people and subject matters and you know types of films deserve entry onto onto this historical list but the fact that there are three 
Chaplin movies on here. And only one Keaton. Yeah, and I'm just not sure we needed three. And we'll see how I feel about the next two. But, you know, if this was the only one on here and I was still sort of ignorant of Chaplin, I was like, okay, well, they just needed to put one Charlie Chaplin one on here. I'd probably be fine with it and in its spot. But I, given that there are three, I'm going to say I don't think it should be on the list. Yeah, I, I struggle with this a lot. I think this deserves to be on the list, but this would be kind of like teetering up there with, you know, your Ben-Hurs and your Yankee Doodle Dandies. I'm a big fan of the rule. Like, three is my personal favorite number. I like the I like the elegance of there being three <laughs> Chaplin movies. I like the, you know, the... I just, I just like. Let's the, not the, get into a number argument. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's certainly the weakest of the three. It's, I mean, and it's, you can tell by the fact that this one is seventy-eight. We won't get another Chaplin movie until fifty-eight. We're not going to get another Chaplin movie for thirty films. Twenty films. Twenty films. Fifty-eight, sixty-eight, seventy-eight. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Seventy-eight. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking that we're in the 80s. I, I can't no. believe we're, we were in the 80s for so long. We were in the 80s for months, and now we've been knocking these down. We're like, moving. Um, dominoes, yeah. This is 78, so we're gonna get another. Cha- we're not going to get another Chaplin movie for 20 films. And then after that, we won't get another Chaplin movie until 11. It's proof positive of how much of a chasm there is in quality between these three films. I would say this deserves to be on the list, but this is way too high for this film. All right. It's, it's not one that I hadn't, I hadn't seen this. I think this was the second time I've ever seen this movie. And now I sort of get why. But I think it's a significant film. I just, um, I don't know if it's a, an especially important film. If you can make a distinction between those, those two words. All right. Well, until next time, this has been We Like Movies, AFI Top 100 Countdown. We'll be here next with number 77, All the President's Men. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye.